Welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Kochman, Director of Communications and Media with ABWE, joined again, as always, here in the saddle with co-host Scott Dunford, pastor of Redeemer Church in Fremont, California. And Scott, we are like the toddlers when they take the family van out for a joy ride and the parents aren't there to watch because we're without our producer today, Tito, which everyone just give a, a round of applause wherever you're at right now. Unless you're driving, don't take your hands off the wheel, but give Tito a round of applause for how he always produces this. But, you know, I'm kind of kind of curious what's going to happen here today now that we're not being monitored, now that we're not being produced here in real time and guided. Anything could happen, yeah. We actually need one of those buttons, you know, like you sometimes you see on those talk shows where you hit the button and like applause comes out or laughter. Uh, that that would that'd be you know, it would be nice to be able to hit the button and have everyone cheering for Tito, even though he's not here. But I'd love to hit a button where engaging content comes out. <laughs> that sounds good too. <laughs> the closest that we could do, that yes, more. that's right. The closest that we could do to actually accomplishing that, though, was to invite back one of our yes. more interesting guests and. Boy, we recorded for, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes last time, and then we probably talked again for another 20, 30 minutes after the call. Really enjoyed connecting with Dr. Michael Crane last time, didn't we, Scott? Oh, yeah, it's great. It's fun to have people who, one, that we connect with, obviously, relationally and theologically, but then someone who's who's done a lot of study and research and can bring some expertise that, you know, I feel like uh, we need to bring on to the show. And so it's exciting to not only have him on the first time. I was actually just listening to the episode again, and I encourage people to go back and listen to it. Even a second time, it's still, there's more things you'll get out of that. Uh, but then to have him back, and we're going to continue that conversation on the whole topic of, of globalization and how that relates to church planting, is particularly how it relates to like multi-ethnic and international churches. So uh, welcome back to the show, Michael. We're so glad that you're here. Thanks so much. So glad to be back. Michael, one of the things that we didn't get a chance to dive into in a lot of detail last time, that's why we're bringing you back, is this idea of international churches on the mission field. So we see, on the one hand, conversations about contextualization, they go something like this, okay? Well, you don't want to just take, copy and paste an English-speaking American church here and paste that into a place like Dubai, for instance, right? English-speaking, you know, all of the the vestiges of, of sort of American church life here. Uh, you don't want to copy-paste that on a new culture. You want it to take on the shape of the culture where it lands. There's obviously a lot of wisdom to that. At the same time, I know many, we've had many, some of our listeners are listening because they attend churches like that in a place like Dubai, for instance, right? A, a church like Redeemer. And we've had Scott Zeller on the show. We've had others that are a part of that church are connected to the show, connected with ABWE. And that's just one of many, many examples of churches that are thriving, that are engaged in missions, uh, but that don't look fully contextualized to the outside observer. And so in your opinion, what do we do with international churches like that? Churches that become a, a, a landing pad uh, for for expats from all sorts of places in a particular country, but aren't necessarily in the language and culture of the surrounding city. What do we do with those missiologically? Is that a good strategy or is that an example of you know, we're, we're missing the mark in some way, in your opinion? In my opinion, um, yeah, I think uh, international <laughs> churches can be very strategic uh, or they may not be depending on the setting and depending on the motivations. I'm of the general opinion that wherever the church is planted and gathered and worshiping God, that's 
uh, a win. That's a, a great thing. Um, now we of course Boy, have a, to we be could end mindful. the episode right now after that comment. That's true. <laughs> that's that's the bottom line, isn't it? it oh, there is. you go. Thanks yeah. for listening this week. <laughs> that was quick. That was nice. Yeah, I mean, I think the issue of contextualization and um, what a church should look like, that's a really complex thing. And then when you get into a city context where you have so many different cultures and then so many more influences on those cultures, I don't I don't even know what, you know, what does a local church look like in Dubai when 80% of the population is international? You know, what should that look like? Redeemer might be might be pretty close, actually. Sure. Well, I can remember I'm old enough to remember, you know, hearing about missionaries they're going to go serve in, let's just say like Germany. And uh, you know, the mentality of the church is, oh, we have a missionary that's serving in the country of Germany. And then as you get to know more about their ministry, you find out, well, they're actually they actually planted a church next to a military base in Germany, and they're ministering to US GIs that are serving there. And they're really not a German church at all. They're, you know, they're an American church serving Americans. And at, at one point, I feel like in the missions conversation, you know, that went from like, hey, we've got someone in the country to wait a second, are they really doing uh, church planting work amongst that that language group or that people group, and I'm just using Germany as an example, but we could think of right. any country around the world where there's an international presence. And then lately, though, like especially coming out of your conversation last time, but then talking to others, you kind of I kind of step back and go, well, wait a second, um, maybe we threw out that baby too fast. When you're talking to to organizations, or if you're speaking to organizations that are developing strategies for church planting, should the international church? be a part of that or should that be looked at side-eyed you know kind of like we've we've done in the past yeah i think it really goes down to uh, what are the motivations and what kind of church are you planting I've been in some churches that feel like more or less like expat clubs, places to kind of get away from the culture. Mm-hmm. I think that's not, I mean, I, when I'm thinking about international churches, that's not what I have in mind. And that's not what I think most have in mind at this point. My prayer is that they have in mind wherever there are the lost we we want to engage. And if there are some opportunities, if there's some openness, and if you have someone in a situation where they can reach that group, then that's fantastic. I think we have to think really critically about uh, how can each of us be used and how can we steward what we have. Taking the German Germany example, you know, if Germans are more unreached and we have the ability to study German, then we should at least consider that and not take what might be the maybe the easy road out. But mm-hmm. if you have a retired pastor who maybe it's it's going to be a tough thing to try to learn German at his age, but he really wants to serve and he can come live right outside a, a U.S. military base and plant a church, why not, why not go down that road? And so I think sometimes the context may help determine, you know, what, what you do and how that works. Yeah. Well, when we talk about international churches, though, we even have to drill down. And we give an example. We talked about our friends at Redeemer in Dubai, kind of playing devil's advocate there a little bit to set you up. But we do have to drill down and define because there's multiple categories of what someone might think of when they think of an international church. There's multi-ethnic churches, but there's also multicultural churches. When we talk about multi-ethnic churches, we obviously believe that the body of Christ is a place for all nations and tribes to come and encounter Christ. Yeah, you're not going to get every nation into one church, but honestly, in a city like Dubai, 
well, you might get close <laughs> in some right. ways. A multicultural yeah. church, though, that's kind of the, the example of that that I think of is you go to certain churches, regardless of where they're located in the world, and depending on their passion for missions and for related uh, cultural pursuits, maybe there'll be a, a song or prayers or multiple prayers in languages that perhaps the majority of the, the local congregation doesn't even necessarily speak. Now, speak to that. What's the difference in your mind between multicultural, multi-ethnic? And because there, I, I see, I don't know about you, I see a tension there. So when I, I when I see those videos, yeah. I hear those stories, I, I think, yes, it's glorious. I love hearing that choir too. And they're singing in a language that I don't understand either. But I also think of what Paul says about everything in worship being done decently and in order. Uh, and it, Paul's emphasis throughout 1 Corinthians, for instance, when he's dealing with tongues, is that worship would be intelligible to all of the people that are there. And I wonder, man, am I getting caught up in just sort of the, the, the foreign aesthetic of this and not mm. really worshiping with my mind? And I, I wonder if on a broader level you could speak to the merits of multi-ethnic, but recognizing with multicultural too, man, doesn't a church also need a, a shared identity together as a particular church? There may have been about 10 or 12 questions in your question there. Um, but I think... Uh, <laughs> All of them, because this is yeah, good. Right. You need help. <laughs> uh, my really simple understanding of the, the difference between the two is multi-ethnic is... The composition of the congregation is holds from different cultural backgrounds, different ethnic right. backgrounds, whereas multicultural intentionally strives for trying to bring the different cultural representations together in terms of, like you were describing, maybe the, the worship, maybe even some language, maybe in terms of decision-making and input into to what's done, the food that you eat afterwards, all of that would be kind of represented by how multicultural it is. So you could be multi-ethnic, but still be very much led by kind of a dominant cultural influence. And and so therefore not be multicultural. But typically, if you're multicultural, you do have some multi-ethnic uh, background. In terms of the the First Corinthians 14, you know, question with the tongues and orderliness and, you know, I, so like the, the, it's almost cliche at this point, but like singing how great is our God in multiple different languages. I think when you hear those different languages, everyone's clear, you know, what is being said. And so I don't think that's going to create confusion. Sure. There are, I've heard of a lot of different ways of churches trying to handle bringing together different languages. Um, some with everyone having the little, the the headsets and someone translating <laughs> simultaneously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, little miniature others, UN. Yeah, like the UN. Yeah. Um, which is an amazing thing because I, I don't understand how someone translates simultaneously. I don't, how, I don't know how they hear Incredible. and speak all yeah. at once. <laughs> um, I can do one thing not that well. And so... Yeah, and then just the issue of just recognizing that there's these different cultures that operate and think and and even like preach the word different ways, you know, whether there's more narrative, whether, um, you know, just the, the way you deliver some truths is going to be quite different and how do you engage everyone. Those are challenges with the multicultural church, to be sure. Uh, I, yeah. I think I stepped into this a little bit with our last talk 
which was, you know, when you look at Paul and and what he did, he really seemed intentionally to try to bring different groups together. And you know, like you read Ephesians and you see him addressing the this division between people, that there's this ethnic division and that in Christ, they are one new humanity. And so I think yeah. theologically, there's something to be said for what happens when we get together from different backgrounds. And it may be ethnic or it may be some other backgrounds, socioeconomic d- divides or other things, but that mm-hmm. Christ brings down that that division, that wall that's mm-hmm. holding us back from each other, and that we should be family. It may be really messy, but we should be family. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as much as possible. Now, language is the barrier to yeah. that for sure. I've been involved in a number of multi-ethnic settings, some that went well, some that went less well. Um, and it, it is difficult when you're trying to bring in a culture that isn't native to you. It ends up becoming and looking inauthentic. Mm. Um, and yet, you know, it's easy for us to look at the way we set up church and to think this is just the way that church should be. But when you start diving into cultural differences, you realize there's lots of little things. And I, I see that especially out here in the Bay where, you know, we might have an Afghan church that many aspects of their services look the same, um, but they're used to meeting in homes and they're used to having an extended meeting that you sit on the floor and you teach and you pray. And then, you know, and then you move into the meal time, then you move into discussion and it's just very effortless and, and it flows in a certain way or a Filipino culture church that even if their services are in English, they still have a certain flavor to the way the service goes. Uh, that is, that is different than, you know, a church that is, uh, led by, you know, Caucasian Americans, you know, like someone like me from the Midwest, you know, I have a way that I think about it. And so it's, it's a tension of trying to to build a congregation that it's going to have a culture. It just, there's no way around it having its own distinct culture, mm-hmm. but also ministers to people that are coming from di- very different cultural backgrounds. And I think that's something that international churches have, have been trying to do for some time. And I'm wondering, what do you think about this? Like the idea of understanding churches here functioning in these very multicultural, multi-ethnic settings, borrowing from what we're seeing happening in the uh, broader international church. Do you see there's va- that there's value in that? I mean, I think in terms of the, the idea of the Western idea of church or practice of church influencing churches, other places, I mean, I think that that ship already sailed a long time ago. You can go to some pretty rural places and see some pretty Western-styled churches that are in the local language and have very much local aspects to it. But then they're, you know, they're wearing suits for some reason when no one else around them <laughs> is, or yes, um, or or just singing songs that that have been carried over. And there's something frustrating when it suits in a tropical land or something like that. Uh, but there's something really cool about the fact that this is a global faith. And I think at its best, we should be like borrowing from each other. You know, when there's beautiful worship music developed anywhere in the world, man, why not praise God with it? You know, we we were planting a church with a minority group that came came to our city as refugees and uh, we were trying to do something really simple and local and really like house-based. And they went to YouTube and saw churches in Los Angeles of their same people. And they're like, this is what we want. And I'm <laughs> like, wow. You know, so 
I, I don't know that an international church in a city is that influential in, in that regard. My hope is that a healthy Christ-centered international church, what what comes through its pores are is the Christ-centeredness and that that's mm-hmm. the way it influences a place. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the healthy international church. Let's talk about the healthy international church member. Maybe they're a missionary in that country. Maybe they're in that country for other reasons. How would you encourage somebody who's a part of a church like that, maybe in just kind of a global city, or maybe literally that's the church that they happen to attend in the expat circles in which they run as missionaries in a foreign land, foreign to them at least. How would you encourage them to love that body well and the diversity of it, but to love the local people too? I mean, think of a place like Dubai. It's incredibly challenging. Why? Because there's a lot of ministry that can happen in the walls of that church, but then you step outside the walls of that church and and legally it becomes uh, illegal and, and incredibly difficult, if not impossible, to be reaching Emiratis directly. And that that's the case right. in a lot of these countries, right, that are less open to the faith. And so what do you do with that? How do you encourage those believers to, to, to be faithful in that kind of a setting and to not choose local ministry at the expense of the four walls of the church or, or vice versa? There's not a clear-cut answer for, for what, particularly someone that is yeah. going intentionally to a place to to give witness to Christ, to make disciples, they they'll need to work through some of those things. One of the factors is, you know, you want to make sure your family is being discipled, your kids are being discipled well. You want to, if if you're going to a place where there are no other public expressions of church life, then that may be that may be it. And if you're trying to discreetly share the gospel with others in that city. And then they know enough about, I mean, people know enough about Christianity at this point to know that you should be going to church. It's just going to make sense. You know, it's, it's in some ways part of your witness to, to be part of a body. If you can be a body of Christ. Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, there are times and, and situations where it may not make good sense where you if you are trying to immerse yourself in a particular language and culture and and you can by all means be a part of a local church and dig deep into those churches so i'm not saying it's always the right answer in in some cases where there is less of a church expression that can be the you know an international church can be the starting point of of seeing new churches started. And I'll say this too, the advantage an international church has is because it's so multicultural, people that feel like they're misfits for one reason or another are attracted to it. And you mm-hmm. end up, you know, the international church just has a different ministry foot footprint in a city and maybe reaching locals, but maybe ones that have just some different cultural influence and makeup or, or maybe have something that they feel like in one case um, there was a, a woman who had a child out of wedlock and she really felt like she, if she went to the local church that they would judge her. Um, she was not a believer. She just said, I, I want to find out more about this. And so she Googled international church and went to it and found Christ there. Um, now, it's not for me to know whether the local church would have judged her, but in this case, it was just her perception, and that created an opportunity for for her to hear about Christ. Mm-hmm. 
I think I probably for our listeners who haven't been overseas, I think it's important to understand there's there's a there's a couple distinctions they should know about. Like one, there's a difference between an international church, I think, in a place that is relatively open or that is very open and an international church in a in a restricted access country. Yeah. Um, in restricted access countries, those churches are really heavily, you know, monitored. You show a passport before you go in. They can have an incredible ministry. In fact, you know, I've seen, you know, in some restricted access countries, they have an incredible ministry to people from other unreached places and, and language groups and ethnicities, but not to the ho- the host country. And and sometimes for missionaries there too, I think the church can be an oasis where you're out ministering in a very unreached, very difficult context. And Sunday morning worship is a place where whew, you can uh, you can refresh and relax. I think the mm-hmm. tension though is that sometimes. In the middle of that stressful situation that you're in, you can not just come and and refresh, but you can come and kind of like hunker down and then you start pouring your whole life and ministry into that. And then you lose the sight of the ministry that you were there to do from the beginning. Um, It also kind of goes to an earlier thought, you know, about how it could be easy for churches I think this would be, a, if we had people who were advocating hard for unreached people groups, I can just kind of imagine even Brooks Buser jumping in on this and, and saying, you know, there's a danger or a potential danger for churches to saying, oh, we, we've got a, we've got missionaries in the Middle East, you know, and that because they're doing an international church plant in a place, but forgetting about the huge groups of unreached peoples that are in those places that while that international church is important, that's not what they're probably going to be able to do in that particular setting. So I think there is a danger of, we have to make sure that we keep the categories in a way that that still helps us understand the incredible needs that are still out there. I don't know if you want to respond to that at all, Michael, or if you agree with that assessment. I mean, I think we don't want to over-glorify the international church as the be-all and end-all. And I have heard at times people kind of um, give it maybe a little too much praise as as the thing to do. The answer. Because I yeah. think you're right. It, it can get us a little off course if we're trying to reach, you know, a particular population and we end up just with uh, some folks that maybe feel more comfortable for us, then that can be a challenge. The other thing I want, I, it just popped into my head, you know, I believe J. Christie Wilson, who wrote about Samuel Zwimmer and um, then D- Dudley Woodbury, I think they gained access to Afghanistan and Pakistan because they were pastoring international churches. And so mm-hmm. in some cases, mm-hmm. it gives them just the very means of access to begin with. Yeah. But for sure, we do want to make sure that the international church should never, I think no church should just be comfortable with who they have. And so, like, my prayer is yeah. that every international church develops a deep burden for the people all around them, both the local as well as international communities. And mm-hmm. I would love to see international churches get connected into whatever church ecosystem they can locally so that they can be participatory in that, in that way. Another huge benefit I saw of international churches, especially in places where there's constant fl- outflow and especially in hard-to-reach places, is that the international church can kind of serve as as the uh, the institutional knowledge for the international community that's flowing through there. Whereas, you know, missionary teams might be disconnected and even, like, I've seen, you know, you, you've experienced it, I've experienced it, where people who've been in a, in a place for a long time, suddenly that whole team is just gone because the government kicks them out. But 
but the international church a lot of times is the one that that keeps the information of like what was done before how are things gone before who was here before you know even just like how to live right. and how to i mean we, we learned so much from the international church not even about ministry uh but but about how to live in that place and how to navigate the systems that they, they serve an incredibly important role in helping that that uh that that knowledge to be retained even though missions teams can sometimes be fragile and and come and go let me let me cut in with something as well scott i think that's really helpful to bring out you i I like the distinction you brought out earlier between international churches in a more open country and international churches in a more closed country those are two very different things i think we've also and we've kind of been assuming it because we're speaking mostly about missionaries and two missionaries but there's going to be at least two there's going to be many more but at least two types of of members or attendees of an international church Mm. missionaries and non-missionaries as well there's going to be a number of believers who are expats who are traveling for work or, or whatever the circumstances of their life happen to be the way that they come to that church for refuge and for shelter in a in a country and a culture that's not only very different from what they're used to but possibly very hostile towards their faith the, the way that they engage that and draw strength from that is different from the missionary who has to be all the more guarded that they don't become apathetic to the local community that perhaps they were actually commissioned to go and reach. There's a different dynamic there, just like in Scripture, right? Paul says, you know, it's my ambition to go and preach Christ where he's not yet heard. At the same time, he wasn't punishing the Romans or rebuking the Romans for drawing encouragement from their fellowship together, right? And so even just (laughs) understanding there's there's hands and feet and ears and arms and legs within the body of Christ, different parts doing different functions, that's true, of course, in any church, but especially an international body in a particular city like this that we're talking about. And Michael, something that you brought up earlier that I think was was really helpful, it was towards the beginning, and I think it's important to come back to it. Anytime people are gathered together, worshiping Jesus, that's a win, period, yeah. full, full stop. And I think some of our conversation, we come into this as missiologists, we want to have best practices, we want to have answers for missionaries that are coming to us for advice or pastors that we know across the world that are doing various things. But the idea of what kind of church, quote unquote, works I mean, in so many ways, that's a loaded question, and it's the wrong question, right? The, the real issue is, you know, if, if you have a very international city, cool, have an international church. If you have a very monocultural city, great, have a monocultural church. The whole point is, if, if God has saved this group of people, no matter what they look and smell like, and, and brought them together, then praise God that they're coming together in worship. The church is an organism long before it's a program. Churches have programs. Churches aren't programs. And so I think we also have to be guarded. I think there's so many interesting things. And and I'm, I'm thinking a missionary might be stumbling across this episode, and maybe they're facing a weird decision about, do I attend this international church, or do I start a, a local Bible study in this country with a couple local believers and not get involved in this expat community? Uh, there's a lot of nuance to some of those decisions and we're not discounting that but i just think right. there's there's so much that we've we've got to rejoice in the church is the church and and christ loves it no matter what shape and form it takes yeah absolutely and i i think where i've seen the best examples of international churches they have actively been a part of reaching the least reached in their city and so it's just a beautiful mm. thing to see and in some places, I think modeling it for where the local church may have grown a little stagnant in some of those those places. And so even to, to go back to maybe the, the UPG question, I, I think sometimes we think 
UPGs need to be reached in their homeland. But right now we just have so many people that are just not in their homeland for one reason or another. I think it's one in seven in the world. Mm, wow. So that that's significant. You know, if there's a way we can reach people when they are, you know, working overseas or seeking refuge overseas or studying overseas, uh, those incredible opportunities. And I think the church shouldn't turn away from those opportunities. I was just told of um, a smaller, not very multicultural city in Southeast Asia that had some refugees in the city, and they were going to a church that was meeting in the local language, and they kept asking, is there anyone that can help us? And everyone kept pointing to the one pastor in the city that spoke enough English so that he could kind of work with them. And what that pastor ended up doing is starting an, an international fellowship because there were people that were inquiring about Christ and wanted to hear the good news and didn't speak the local language, but spoke English. And so, you know, I mean, how could he turn away from that opportunity, mm. really? Yeah, I want to, if I can come back to something you were saying earlier, Alex, um, I do agree, you know, obviously people worshiping together is wonderful, full stop. But there also, I think it's also important for missionaries, though, to recognize, yeah, that's a good thing, but it might not be the best thing at that time for what you've been called to do. And, you know, it's just kind of kind of like, you know, if, if I were to say, you know, spending time and loving your wife is a wonderful thing to do, full stop. Well, that's true. But if you're supposed to be recording the podcast, it might not be the best thing to do at that time. And I and I, I only bring that up because, you know, serving in those hard places, and I, I think Michael would probably agree with this, like there is so much pressure and so much mm. difficulty with that, that sometimes retreating into that you know, that cul-de-sac, yeah, it's a good thing, but mm -hmm. it, it might not be the best thing. And you might be doing it not out of good reasons. You might be doing it because the work yeah. you're doing is difficult and it's going to take time. And and, and, I, and I, I'm saying this as someone who's kind of done that, you know, where I've felt like I'm not I'm not very effective in this new thing that I'm trying to do in, in reaching this people group with the gospel. It's not going the way I thought it would, and it's not as fast as it would, and it's, it's difficult. And yet I can spend a lot more time over here in my own language doing the things that I've been doing for, for a decade and find some fruit in that. And so I think it, I just want to say that to our missionaries who might be listening, you know, you do have to kind of question yourself. You do have to check your motives. You have to make sure that, yeah, yeah. this is a, this is a good thing, but it might not be the thing that you're supposed to be doing right now. If I can just comment on that, I, I know of at least one team in recent memory that split over something very much like that. Some were convinced, let's be a part of this community. Others were convinced that's not the right time for our ministry. And without getting into any of the specifics of that at all, it takes a lot of wisdom and grace and discernment and assuming of the absolute best motives uh, between both sides of some of those di divides because it's it's a little bit subjective and it depends on each missionary and their proclivities and what are they tempted to, to do? Are they tempted to become a little bit more apathetic and having a spirit of grace about those things, recognizing there aren't a lot of hard and fast answers with, frankly, a lot of the conversation that we're having today. Go ahead, Michael. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I think we have to be mindful of calling. You know, I'm I'm super thankful for those who have as their calling to provide member care for those serving overseas. And mm -hmm. they're not giving direct, you know, they're not able to engage directly with, with lostness, but they know their, you know, field of service, so to speak, is missionaries 
who need someone to talk to and need someone to mm. to provide counseling and care or teachers uh, at schools, you know. So I think we just need to be mindful of calling and yeah. offer grace to each other in the midst of that. Well, it's after midnight <laughs> for you, so I can see why that yes. would be. Uh, Mike, why don't, why don't you go ahead and remind us of where we can get more of your work? And, and this is, you know, fascinating, but you've written and done a lot more work on other topics too, including the Globalization episode. We'll link to that in the show notes if you missed that a few weeks ago. Yeah, so I've written on the strategic value of international churches in a journal called International Journal of Urban Transformation. And it's you can find it on Amazon, but I think it's also on the Radius Global Cities Network website. So you can mm -hmm. find it free of charge. Um, and that's probably the easiest way to connect is Radius Global Cities Network website. Um, we have some articles and and different and, and just data on cities. So I'm not just championing international churches. I believe very strongly it's going to take all kinds of churches to reach a city. But I do think part of that is going to be intentional multicultural churches or intentional international churches. Mm. While I'm thinking of it, the thing that I wanted to say slipped back into my mind. And I think the, well, the thing about God. international churches <laughs> is English isn't the point of it or culture isn't the point of it. The point of, of an international church is to provide to provide church for those that may need English or may not have a church in their language. It's my prayer that the international church I'm connected to, that we plant all kinds of different language churches out of it. My goal mm -hmm. is not to make everyone worship in English, but my goal is that through the church, we are able to give witness and access the nations and see churches multiply. Man, Man that's a great note to end on. Michael, we're thankful for your writing and for your ministry. We encourage you to check out some of those resources if you're listening. And thank you for watching and listening to the Missions Podcast, which is a ministry of ABWE. To learn more about ABWE, go to abwe.org. And you can get more content at missionspodcast.com. If you want to support the show, you can click the support tab up at the top or go to missionspodcast.com slash support. And of course, as you know, one of the best ways to support the show is to share the show with a friend and leave a positive rating and review. That'll help other people discover this important content and hopefully be encouraged by it. And we want to be encouraged or discouraged with some of your feedback, your criticism, whatever it is that you have to share with us. Alex at missionspodcast.com. Suggestions, questions, send them all there. And until next week, thank you for watching. <laughs>